It's good to see everybody this morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1 when you get there. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. There, say amen. Verse 1 it says, In the third day there was a marriage of Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set uh, there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Uh, Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they fill them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear it to the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew uh, the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Verse 11 says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the day that you've given, for uh, the text that we've read today. Lord, I pray for your guidance and direction as we look at this, and uh, Lord, help us to understand what your verses have to say and Lord, I pray that your spirit would have freedom to speak to our hearts this morning, uh, to address anything that needs to be addressed, uh, Lord, to encourage us or give us encouragement uh, in any way that we may need that. Lord, you know the needs of each person today, and I pray that you'd meet them through your word and through your spirit. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at these verses. Uh, we find that just three days after his meeting with Nathaniel, I don't know if uh, if you were here last week, you remember us talking about uh, two of the disciples began following Jesus, and they both had the same response. So, well, uh, two of them had the same response. Andrew, of course, ran and found his, his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus. And then a little bit later, it says that Jesus went up into Galilee and met a man named Philip and spent some time with him. And Philip had the same reaction as Andrew. He ran and found Nathaniel and said, we have found the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting on. And, of course, Jesus has this meeting with Nathaniel. Well, as we look in chapter 2, it says the third day, or three days after this had happened with Nathaniel, there was a wedding uh, that took place in a little bitty town called Cana uh, in the area of Galilee. And so he and his disciples were all invited to this, this great wedding feast. Now, anyone who has ever hosted a large meal uh, knows the horror involved with inviting many guests but then running out of food. As a matter of fact, I think I heard some, uh, some murmuring today. We're feeding everybody lunch today after the, uh, the service, and I even heard some questions about whether there'll be enough food uh, for today. Is everybody going to be able to eat? Is there going to be enough for everyone? And so we know the, the terror that comes with not having enough food. It's okay to have too much, right? And uh, most moms are going to prepare too much, uh, but it's, it's scary not to have enough. Well, that is exactly what happened at this wedding. They had run short on wine for the festivities. Now, let me say that this, these verses are the favorite of people when, you know, I, I begin talking to others about 
drunkenness or talking to others about, uh, you know, drinking alcohol. They love to go here and say, well, Jesus turned water into wine, so he must be okay with it. Uh, you know, so if, if he made it or whatever, they must be okay for us. Uh, let me say that this story is often used by those who desire to make drinking and partying sound like Jesus' idea. But I want you to understand that regardless of whether the wine that Jesus made was alcoholic, and let me say, I believe it was. Whether it was or not, it does not change the stand that God's word takes against drunkenness and alcohol abuse. And so let's not take what we find here and go completely a different direction with what's being said. Now, it would be easier, uh, easier for us to make our study today about the wine or Jesus' position on drinking alcohol, but then we would lose focus on the bigger and greater issue, not whether or not the wine was alcoholic, but the public statement that Jesus was making about himself when he turned this water into wine. There was a reason why he chose this miracle at this wedding on this day at this time. And I want us to see that. Let's not get caught up on the little things here. Let's, let's look at the greater picture. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, just very quickly as we go down through these verses. I know that food smells really good back there. All right. And I, I, the aroma has hit me this morning, too. So we're, we're going to try to get through this as fast as we can. But I do want you to take your time and let's, let's be fed spiritually first. Then we'll go get fed, uh, get fed physically, okay? So let's look at three things this morning. First of all, let's look at the wedding in verses 1 through 5. Now, we'll go ahead and read this verse. We'll come back and, and break these down. It says, The third day there was a marriage at Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. It says that both Jesus... And his disciples were called to this marriage. Verse 3, it says, When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. There, there's no wine left. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. And verse 5, it says, His mother said to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now we find here that Jesus' mother Mary informed him that they had run out of wine for the wedding. Uh, and so there was no wine to, to drink there. It appears as though uh, she even had some form of responsibility or involvement in, in this wedding. We see that when she turns to all the servants and gives them a command. She says to the servants, you do whatever he tells you to do. So it appears as though she may have had some kind of responsibility here at the wedding. Uh, but whether or not she was asking Jesus to perform a work as the Messiah, and some have interpreted this as when she says they have no wine, some have said, well, here's your chance. You know, Jesus, go ahead and show everybody what you can do. Whether she was asking him to do that or whether she was just asking him as a son to go do a favor for his mother and, and make sure that some wine gets there to the, uh, to the party, either way, uh, we see that Jesus had been issued higher instructions. We see this in what he says in verse 4. We're going to explain this here in just a second. But he says unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. Now, let me say that Jesus' words to Mary here are a little confusing. Any commentary you read is going to have a different interpretation. I know because I've checked all of them that I can find. And they all have a different interpretation of what Jesus is saying here. Yet here are some things that we do know. First of all, let me say that Jesus was in no way being disrespectful to his mother uh, at all. Uh, if I were to say to any of you ladies, woman, come here. <laughs> I'd be wearing whatever was in your hand at the time. <laughs> right? We, we don't say that anymore. But we have to understand, we're not talking about, you know, language today. We're talking about terminology, stuff that was said back then. 
that when he said woman to his mother, it was in no way disrespectful. As a matter of fact, it was a term of endearment. If you'll think a little bit forward, let's fast forward to the cross. Actually, in the book of John records this. Uh, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he said to John, Behold your mother. And he said to his mother, he says, Woman, behold your son. Basically what he was doing is saying, John, I want you to take her in as your own mother. Take care of her and care for her. And he says to his mother, Woman, I want you to look at him as being your son and, and as the one you're going to uh, be dependent upon. And so this was not a, this was in no way disrespectful. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll give you my interpretation here in just a little bit. But this was a term of endearment. Now, Jesus was respectfully communicating to Mary here that he, what he was about to do could not be commanded of his mother, but at, it had to be at the leadership of his father. And so I don't think there was a surprise to Jesus as to what he was about to do at this wedding, but he couldn't do it at the command of his mother. And listen, everybody was standing around watching. And so if he had just gone and done this after his mom said, hey, we need more wine, then it would look like she had the, the, the authority over his ministry. And that is not the case at all. And so he says this to her, indicating that he had higher commands that he had to follow now, everyone seems to have their own interpretation of what Jesus meant by, what have I to do with thee? That is kind of a, a strange arrangement there. Literally, trans, literally translated, excuse me, it, he says here, what is it between you and me? She says, Jesus, we need more wine. He says, why is this a matter between me and you? Now, I think what Jesus was saying is this. I, I've given my own interpretation, and hey, everybody's got a different one, so mine is just as good, right? We'll just see what it says. But I think what he's saying is, Mother, this is not a matter between you and me, but I have to be about my father's business. And so I, I can't do my ministry at your command. I have to do it at his command. I, I'm, I'm his servant. I'm, I'm his man. And I have to be obedient to him. And Mary completely understood this. Look at verse 5. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She doesn't question anything. She just turns to the servants and she says, Whatever he says to you, do it. I think this is great wisdom for anyone. Whatever Jesus says, don't question it. Just do it. And Jesus was about to tell them to do some very strange things. Now, now Jesus says, we need wine. He says to the servants, go get water. But they had already been told, whatever he says, just do it. Doesn't have to make sense. You, you don't have to ask a, a thousand questions. Just do it. Now let's look at the wine here for a little bit. In verses 6 through 10, uh, we see the wine. Again, let's just read down through here. We'll come back. It says, There were set six water pots of stone, after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or, more, uh, two or three firkins apart. We'll talk about what that is here in just a second. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with what? Not wine. With water, right. Verse 7, And they filled them up to the brim. So they were evidently not completely full, but they filled them all the way to the very top. They were about to overflow. He said to them, draw out now and bear it to the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not from where it was, but the service which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said, every man in the beginning does set forth the good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Now let me say that wine, let, let me tell you this. Wine has always been made from water. That's, this is nothing new. It goes through grapes first, right? 
There's a process that has to go through, but winemaking has always been the process by which water is made into wine. Now, winemaking is a long process, especially in Jesus' day, uh, because first they would have to give the water to the grape plants. They had to plant the grape, you know, the grapevine. The vine would have to grow, and then the vine would have to produce grapes, and then they'd have to get the grapes, and then they'd have to pull it all together and they'd all get in there and, and uh, you know, hike the skirts up and take the shoes off and stomp all over the grapes get all the juice. Sounds, sounds appetizing, doesn't it? We're not serving this after, uh, you know, for lunch, just in case you want to know. But they'd get in, they'd mash it all up and then they would take the juice and they'd have to put it in, in skins and, and wait till it ferment. It was a long, long, long process to get from water to wine. But that's what a miracle is. See, Jesus just completely skipped all of the processes and just went straight from water to wine in just a matter of a second. Now, just to show how incredible Jesus is, here's what he did. He never touched the wine. Jesus never did. He didn't take anything and dip water out. He didn't do anything but stand back and tell his servants what to do. He gave all the commands. His servants were the ones that filled the water pipe. They were the ones that drew out, and they were the ones that poured it out to the feast. He, he was just the one who was standing back and making all of it happen, making sure that everything uh, happened as it was supposed to. Now, it says here that he looked over and he saw six stone water pipes in verse 6, and uh, each of these were large containers that... Uh, that held somewhere between 20 and 30 gallons. So these weren't small water pots. They were pretty big. And uh, they were used for ceremonial cleansing. Uh, but evidently they had gotten empty or were nearly empty. And so he said, go and, and fill them up. In verse 7, and so they went and they filled them up to the brim. I mean, to the point of, of almost overflowing. And his command after this was simple. He told the servants to dip their smaller containers in and then to draw from the water pots and to take it to the director of the feast, and we're going to call him the wedding coordinator. So they had to, they had to dip the water in and bring it over to the, to the wedding coordinator, and when they poured it out, it was no longer water, it was wine. Now here's the thing. I don't know if it became wine as they dipped it out. It wasn't wine there, it was water. I don't know if it happened when they dipped it out or when they poured it out, but here's the thing. It don't matter. Water became wine. This was a miracle that Jesus was performing right in front of everyone. This was not hidden to anybody. We see that the wine was so perfect that the ruler of the feast called the groom and said, usually, just so you know, you know, in case we do this down the road, he says, usually we put the good stuff out first, but you save the good stuff until it lasts. Now, we're going to make this Baptist approved, okay? All right? He says, usually we put the Dr. Pepper out first and break out the Dr. Thunder later. <laughs> but, but you put that out first, and now you brought out the good stuff. So just in case we ever do this again, let's make sure we get the, the best out first. Regardless, he, he viewed it. This was the best that had been produced that day. Jesus never really had to lift a finger. I want you to notice here, he just spoke the word, and the water was miraculously changed into wine. You know how he's able to do that? Because he was the same one in John 1.1, who was in the beginning with God, who was God, and who created all things. 
Everything that existed came from the authority of his word, from the breath of his mouth. That leads us to the last thing, that is the wonder. The wonder that we find here in verse 11. Let's read this verse. It says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus at Cana of Galilee. And what did he do? It says, he manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now, let me, before I get to this, let me just say, if you've ever lived with a toddler, and some of us have, evidently, if you've ever lived with a toddler, you've become familiar with the question, why? Right? Doesn't matter what you say, why? Why? Isn't it funny that we try to answer that question for a while, you know, why? Well, because blah, 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 and we'll try to explain it. And then after a while, it's just because I said so. Okay, that's why. All right, stop asking me why. God made it that way, okay? Just chill. But let me say that the question why does have a rightful place as we draw to the end of these verses. This is a very important question. Why this? Why this miracle? Why this specific one? Why now? Why here? Before we answer this, we first need to look at the word miracle. Now, it says in verse 11, this beginning of miracles. There are actually two different words in the Greek language that are translated as miracle. Now, we'll see it. It'll appear to us both times as miracles, okay? Either way, it'll say miracle in English. But there are two Greek words that are translated into miracle. The first word means miracle, <laughs> just in case you needed that clarification. The first one means, or it means a wonder, a wondrous thing. And that's what a miracle is. It's a wondrous display of power that can only be attributed to God. So this is when Jesus does something fantastic like changing water into wine or giving sight to someone who's been, who was born blind or, or giving uh, the ability to walk to someone who's been uh, crippled all of their life. And that would be a miracle. That is a wondrous display of his power. But the second word that we find is the word sign. Sign, not, not miracle, but a sign. And that is the word that we find here. It says, this beginning of signs, signs, did Jesus here at Cana of Galilee. Now, let me say this. A sign, we're not talking about, you know, like a sign. Everybody wants a, a sign. Or something. That's not what we're talking about. Well, when it says a sign here, a sign is basically a miracle with a message. That's how we would define a sign. It's, it's not just raw power, but it's power with a purpose. So that Jesus wasn't just showing off when he turned water into wine. There was a specific message that he had that he wanted to let everybody know about that day. And I want us to see what that is here in just a second. Now I want you to think back with me to the Exodus event when God displayed his signs and wonders. Now the Egyptian called them plagues, and that's what they were to them. But these were the signs and wonders of God. They were wonders in that they were displays of uncontested power, but they were also signs. They weren't just powerful, powerful things God was doing, but he had a message he was trying to convey by doing those signs. He had a purpose behind them, and God did not leave those purposes a mystery. He said over and over again in the book of Exodus, that he did these things that, number one, so that the people might know that he was the true and living God. Amen. He wanted Egypt to know, he wanted Israel to know, and he wanted the whole world to know that he alone was God. Amen. 
So his first purpose in these signs and wonders was to glorify himself as God. But he had another reason for this, and that was that people might trust him to be their God and deliverer. So first he shows these great plagues on the nation of Egypt, and he shows all these wonders, and he has all these signs so that he alone can be glorified as God. We've seen when we went through Exodus on Wednesday nights, we saw that every plague was a direct attack on the different gods of Egypt. And so he was glorifying himself as God, but I want you to see what the result was. The result was when he told Israel to get their shoes on and get their staffs in their hand and get ready to go, they got up and they went. And not only that, but there were several other people who were not Israelites that got up and went with them. What happened? He was glorified as God, and it caused people to trust him for deliverance. Now, let's bring that back to what's happening here. John said that this was the first of Jesus' signs. Now, he would go on to record seven signs in the book of John. John is going to record seven, and we'll see that as we go along. But he would go on to record seven, but this was the first. Just as he had turned water into blood in Egypt, we see that his first sign in Israel was to turn water into wine. Why? What was his purpose? What was the message? They had two. Let's look at that in verse 11. He gives it to us. Verse 11 says, This was the beginning of miracles that he did in the Cana of Galilee. For what purpose? He manifested forth his glory. And second of all, it says his disciples did what? They believed on him. Jesus had two purposes. Number one, to glorify himself as the Son of God. Number two, so that others would trust him for deliverance. I wonder how many even picked up on what was going on. I wonder how many even were awake enough to see what was happening that day. I wonder if there were maybe some Pharisees or maybe some scholars or just some very dedicated uh, people of God that were sitting back and watching this and remembering as this water poured out into crimson wine and thought back to the first display of God's power in Egypt when it turned water into blood. I wonder how many at that point said, it's got to be him. This has got to be him. He's got to be the son of God. This, is, this has to be the Messiah. We see that evidently some did because it says his disciples believed on him. Do you know that God had this story specifically recorded so that you might hear it? And he had two purposes for you hearing this. Number one, that you might know and glorify Jesus as the Son of God. And number two, that you might believe. That goes for whether you're already a believer or not. Because often God's own children forget how awesome in power he truly is. But having heard this today, perhaps you'll trust him through the trials that you're enduring. Hey, if Jesus could turn water into wine, he can handle whatever issue I have going on in my life right now. Or maybe you're lost this morning. By lost, I mean you're without Christ. 
without salvation, without eternal life. Perhaps God has revealed to you that Jesus truly is the Son of God. The same one who turned water into wine later went to a cross for your sin. But through his glorious power, he rose again from the dead to give you life, eternal life. Maybe you're afraid this morning that your sin is too big. I, I don't have a problem believing that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't have a problem believing he went to the cross. I have a problem believing he rose from the dead. But there is no way that he could save me of my sins. My sin is just too big. I want you to know this morning, his grace, his forgiveness, and his love is much bigger than your sin. The same blood, same amount it took to save me of my sins, to save the world of its sin, is what it takes to save you of your sin. The only thing lacking is what we find here. Number one, for you to realize who he is, what he did. And number two, for you simply to trust him for it. I want to say this morning that if you've run into an issue where it just seems like there's no hope, there's, there's nothing left, there's no way that you can take care of this problem that has come into your life, I want you to know that just as Jesus could solve this dilemma of wine with just water, I want you to know he can solve the issues in your life as well. He has the power to take care of whatever is going on in your situation. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as Savior, it's a music place. You don't know Christ as Savior and you know that he went to the cross. You just have a problem believing that he can really save you. I want you to know that's why he went to the cross. He knew you couldn't save yourself. He knew you, you were a sinner. He knew you were hopeless in and of yourself. So he went to the cross. He could save you this morning if you simply trust him. Whatever or however God may have spoken to you today, this is a time of response where you could say yes to God and trust him for whatever needs you might have. And I ask that you will this morning.